Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer Laura Zara Papinski, and my guest today is Jamie Ford, author of the new novel, The Many Daughters of Afong Moy. Jamie Ford's debut novel, Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, spent two years on the New York Times bestseller list and went on to win the 2010 Asian Pacific American Award for Literature. His work has been translated into 35 languages. Having grown up in Seattle, he now lives in Montana with his wife and a one-eyed pub. Jamie, thanks so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about the new book. Thanks for having me. It's uh... It's cool to have a new book out there, and I'm excited to talk about it. There's so much going on in the book, and um, I know I haven't been able to stop thinking about it, so I'd love to hear from you a little more about the characters um, in the novel, including um, the real-life Afang Moy, and I'm definitely curious sort of what the spark of inspiration was to tackle this as your newest novel. <laughs> yeah, I, I describe this book as my big box of crayons because it has a lot going on. Um, there's, uh, I mean, fundamentally, it's, it's, a, it's a book about inherited trauma, which sounds really heavy. Um, but I tend to think of this book as my epigenetic love story. The book explores the possibility um, I mean, when we think of genetics and heritable traits, um, we imagine things like, you know, inheriting uh, hair color, eye color, or things that, um, like our height and things like that, physical characteristics. But the book explores the very real possibility that we inherit psychological characteristics as well. Um, you know, things like... Um, you know, how we react to stress, uh, how we interact with other people, our ability or inability to love other people. And so the book explores just not just the negative things that we may inherit from our ancestors and forebears, but some of the benign things and some of the, the, the positive things. And it starts with the genetic line of a woman named Afang Moy, who was the first Chinese woman to come to America in 1834. And it follows all these generations after her and the main character is actually um, set in Seattle in 2045 so it's historical and it's also speculative and um, kind of everything in between and um, I guess I should just stop babbling <laughs> <laughs> no sure it's great question yeah, it's could, great to hear about. It's a book that's kind of hard to sum up in one sentence, so I just tend to trail off into the weeds a little bit. No, well, I I I, I love to hear about the weeds of a book. So <laughs> I thought it was really interesting that it is, you know, rooted in this real person who I I had not heard of before. Could you tell us more about the real Moy? And I I always am curious about the research process behind a book and how much you had to kind of imagine versus like what was available. Yeah. Uh, Ahong was a real person. She, you know, she came to this country. She was written, she was written about in literally hundreds of newspapers because she traveled up and down the East coast from Buffalo, New York, all the way down to Cuba. And people would pay money to come see her. They would, come and listen to her speak and sing in Chinese and watch her eat with chopsticks and also to check out her bound feet. She was this great exotic other. 
And the articles celebrate her life and existence in a way, but the articles are all written by her promoters, by the people who have monetized her, um, you know, pe people sometimes can look at those newspaper articles and think she's like this intrepid world traveler or some sort of ambassador representing China, which obfuscates the fact that at the time women couldn't leave China and if they returned, the punishment was death. And so it's more likely that she was sold by her parents or family um, Chinese, you know, too many daughters in China at the time were seen as a liability and not a, an asset. And so it's, she, it's most likely that she came here under dubious circumstances and was stuck here. She was promised, uh, you know, to return in a couple of years and she never did. She was in the newspaper headlines for years and then she disappeared from the headlines and no one knows what happened to her. Uh, there were rumors that she was touring Europe. There were rumors that she had gone back to China. But the reality was at the time, she was living in a poorhouse um, in New Jersey, of all places. And no one knows if she had children, what her relationships were like. And so she's a bit of an enigma. She's a, a blank canvas. And and I, I wanted to, to give her a genetic line, to give her a legacy. Um, and that's very much what the book is about. Um, she, it's, it's someone that, you know, I, I feel for Fang because, I mean, just, she's a, a total stranger in a strange land, um, barely spoke the language, you know, thousands of miles removed from her home and everything familiar to her. Um, at a time when, you know, Caucasian women really weren't allowed on the streets alone without an escort or no proper lady would be seen on the streets alone. Um, and so it's, I mean, she's just brought to this country in a difficult circumstance at a time when women were already at an incredible disadvantage. And here she is a Chinese woman. And so she's, she's going to have some struggles just baked into her existence. And the book follows her generations of her, uh, you know, her descendants, who are all Chinese women, Chinese American women, as they assimilate into different time periods in, um, you know, in this country. Part of the book takes place in England. Part of the book takes place in China. But they all have some of the same struggles. They all have this feeling of abandonment and loss. And then throughout all of this there's a sense of searching, of seeking, of someone looking for someone else in all these different time periods. And I'll stop right there so I don't give away too much of the plot, but that's, yeah. that's where the book goes. Well, as you were figuring out each character and sort of each generation of the story, are you someone who wrote your way into that or did you have a sense at the beginning of kind of where you wanted each generation to sort of go in the novel how did all of that work yeah yeah my my first three novels are all historical fiction this book i i knew i wanted to write historical and also speculative so it jumps into the future and i wanted to cross a lot of genres and so there are aspects of 
magical realism and perhaps, um, you know, what you might consider soft science fiction. And I, I knew I wanted to start with this character and I knew I wanted to end up slightly into the future. And when I write, I, I think of it as banking and spending emotional currency with my readers in that I am, I'm either tormenting my characters or I'm giving them comfort and relief by design to get to the end and to have some sort of emotional payoff, whether that's tragic or redemptive or happy or um, what have you. And I, I knew my entry point to the book. I knew my exit point. I knew I, how I wanted the reader to feel. And I tend to make up the juicy middle as I go, but because I have six point of view characters and six timelines and it's really complicated, I had to stop. After I read about 80 pages and I just couldn't juggle all the pieces in my mind. And I had to you know, map it all out on a wall. And so my office, it's, it looks like that meme of a conspiracy theorist where there's just papers <laughs> and post-it notes and red string tied from pushpin to pushpin to pushpin. But I, I had to do that to keep it all straight in my brain and, and just to, to make sure that there was a, a balance and a rhythm to the story so that one character's story didn't take over the whole book and that my main character who is actually you know, her descendant Dorothy who's living in 2045 she needed to be the lead character um, and have just slightly more time on stage can you tell us a little bit about the future you're kind of portraying in the <laughs> book and how you came up with that and yeah I'm just kind of curious how you sort of brought that setting and, and world to life <laughs> yeah you know it, I'm from Seattle I tend to write about Seattle in some fashion in my books Seattle is a city known for its charming weather of perpetual rain <laughs> It's it's not that it always rains in Seattle. It just always looks like it's going to rain in Seattle. So it's always overcast. And the book takes place in 2045. You know, we're seeing changing weather patterns all over the world. I live in Montana, and I think we've had one white Christmas in the last five years, which, you know, is is a bit unusual for us. And so... I've, I've given Seattle a typhoon season and it's based on, on reality in that occasionally the, the jet stream that comes from the South Pacific and comes, you know, up to the Northwest will snag a storm, will snag a typhoon and drag it across the Pacific and send it smashing into the West coast. Um, there was a famous storm in the, uh, in the mid 1800s that, it basically brought a hurricane to the Pacific Northwest of sustained winds of 190 miles per hour. Um, and so I've just cranked that up a notch. And Seattle is now a city that's just struggling with this severe weather that happens seasonally and is getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and, and oddly enough, people in Seattle just kind of go with it because that's what people in Seattle do. They're just used to inclement weather, and this is just inclement weather taken to the next level. Yeah, that was really interesting to read about. You can tell there's just so much climate anxiety we all have right now. I feel like I keep, I just read it recently and had on um, Julia Glass, who wrote Vigil Harbor, and that has a similar, it's in, in my neck of the woods, like north of Boston on the coast, and but it's similar, like 
the whole weather pattern and climate has just gotten out of control. And I think it's only like set 10 years from now, but um, it's interesting just to kind of see all this play out in fiction. But um, well, one of the other things I was kind of wondering about, you know, as, as we're reading about treatments, Dorothy goes through and everything. I'm just wondering kind of how, how all that, how you came up with all that and, and just more sure. about epigenetics in general, because it's definitely not something I'm super familiar with. Yeah, the book, <laughs> the book deals with, um, you know, the, the longer uh, name for it is uh, transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. Um, and it's, a, it's how trauma can uh, alter the methylation of our DNA and pass those traits on to our offspring. And in the book, I mean, I became fascinated with the whole idea of epigenetics that when there was a, a study done at Emory University in 2013, where they took lab animals, in this case, mice, and they introduced a citrus fragrance as they electrified the floor. And so they quickly habituated the mice to have a panicked or fear reaction whenever they smelled that scent. And then they found that three and four and five generations later, the descendants of those mice, they could introduce that citrus fragrance for the first time. And these were mice that had never smelled that scent. They'd never been shocked, but they had the same fear reaction. And so that one traumatic event crossed many generations to trouble, you know, these, these poor mice five generations later. And it was something that, you know, it was, I think in in certain circles, especially therapeutic circles, the idea of inherited trauma is is something that's been discussed and explored. And certainly, Native American communities talk about you know a legacy of inherited trauma. There's been studies done with the descendants of Holocaust survivors, showing that they have you know different mental health struggles and outcomes and higher rates of suicide attempts and things like that. And so there's been these anecdotal bits that point in a direction that we're inheriting more than just eye color and, and hair color. But that study was a confirmation of what a lot of people had thought was occurring. Um, and that was really, it's something that just, I was absolutely fascinated by. And then at the same time, I, I, I read an article about um, how some scientists had transplanted a memory from one lab animal to another. Um, and there's a long, complicated process of, of how they did this. But I've, in the book, which takes place, the chapters that takes place just a few years into the future, I've combined these technologies and use it as a way of, a therapeutic way of re-remembering the past. Um, and that's what my main character, Dorothy, undergoes um, to, to sort of uh, ease the discomfort that she's inherited. Um, that's kind of an oversimplification, but, but that's really what's going on. And it's interesting, you know, it, I use real science and try to explain it in a, in a gentle way, in a directional way of, of where the science is taking us. And the reaction from a lot of readers is, hurry up. Let's, let's make that happen. Because <laughs> yeah. it sounds great. I think all of us, we have trauma in our families, or we are a witness to trauma. 
and it does affect us. And um, in the book, there's uh, a way to bring comfort and um, therapeutic relief to that. Yeah, I thought that was just so fascinating. And I think, and I know for me, it just got me wondering, I think sometimes families also don't talk about trauma that um, they've experienced, or certainly maybe you wouldn't know of past generations. So it, I just thought it was so interesting to think about what we might share with, um, you know, ancestors that we don't really know much about their lives, but we have this connection. So interesting. Um, well, I know you mentioned kind of, um, reader reaction a little bit, and that was going to be one of my questions. Um, I'd imagine maybe you're getting to do a little bit of a somewhat normal book tour. And I'm just kind of curious <laughs> what that's been like and getting to interact with readers and um, just getting to kind of bring this book out into the world. Mm, it's, it's, you know, you, we, part, um, part of the book, one of the narratives takes place in San Francisco in the late 1800s during a plague epidemic that they, there actually was a plague epidemic in, um, in San Francisco at the time. So it was very strange to write about uh, an epidemic during a global pandemic, which obviously limited um, our travel and book events and book tours were canceled and things like that. So I'm anxious to get back out there. I'm getting my second COVID booster as soon as I uh, am off this call. So I'm getting myself <laughs> ready and fortified to get out there into the world. And it's, it's exciting to, it's like, everything's coming alive again. And I know we're still struggling with different strains of COVID and um, I don't even want to think about monkeypox and stuff like that. Um, but I've done a lot of pre-launch events and it's just so wonderful to get out there and interact with booksellers and readers and to do things in person. The, the cool thing about, I mean, it's, it's hard to think of a positive coming from COVID, but one positive thing is it's trained the whole world to do things online, to, to use Zoom and to be comfortable with that technology and to improve that technology. And that's great, but it, it just, it's not the ultimate surrogate for an in-person event. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm launching the book in Seattle on August 2nd and doing the, you know, the tour. I call them the, the Taj Mahal bookstores. These are iconic bookstores like the Tattered Cover and Powell's and places that are just, as an aspiring author, I just dreamed of visiting. And, and it's so wonderful to go out and, and do those events. Um, and uh, a, a film crew is flying to Montana and um, shooting at my house next Monday. Um, I, I can't say who it is. Until, ah, oh, that's but, so cool. Yeah, it's crazy. But just the thought of like, that's where we are again. We're, we're back at a time when, when people can do those things. Yeah. Um, well, I, I definitely think we appreciate the in-person book events and author events more now. And, and then I think too, I think you're right. I mean, I, there's authors that, you know, like you that live, you know, far away that maybe I wouldn't get to see 
in person, right. but it's, it is nice to get to attend things virtually and kind of have that opened up for, for everybody who can't, you know, get to a bookstore close by or see their favorite author. Um, yeah. Just to see book festivals happening again is fantastic. Like the Miami Book Fair and Printers Row in Chicago and stuff like that. These big gatherings um, are are coming alive again, which is wonderful to see. Are there particular authors that you're excited to get to maybe go out and see, or or writers that are kind of a big part of your you know process or writing life? Oh. Yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> unfortunately, the ones that um, were most influential to me have, have passed away, like Pat Conroy is one of my all-time favorite authors, and Pat's been gone for a number of, of years now, but I do, I'm hoping in November to take a, a pilgrimage to South Carolina, to the Low Country, and take a a Pat Conroy pilgrimage, if you will, and go to the Conroy Center and go to Fripp Island where he taught um, that became the book, The Water is Wide, and go to, you know, where he's buried and things like that. Um, that's, that's such a, a writerly, geeky thing to do to, like, you know, other people's vacation is to the beach or <laughs> going golfing or something. And I just want to go see where my literary heroes once walked. I'm right there with you. I love a literary pilgrimage. My yeah. <laughs> just remembering my, I got a, I, I think a night away when my um, younger son was born a couple of years ago, and like a normal person would have like, I don't know, gone and got a massage or something, and I did like a little Louisa May Alcott pilgrimage and like went oh, to her grave in the house. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's exactly. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. I just, I just want to commune with the, you know, the, the vibe of that author. Now that they're they're no longer with us, yeah. Um, and something about walking in this space is that they were, I yeah. Don't know, it just is very powerful. Yeah, I totally agree. There's there's several authors like that. Um, unfortunately, they're they've all passed away, and there and there's new authors, of course, that I would just love to see because I read their books um, recently and just was smitten. Um, but yeah, m much of <laughs> much of my my authorly uh, travel has to do with like research and things like that. So it's, it's never quite as sexy as people imagine. <laughs> well, um, I was going to ask about um, what you have been reading lately. Are there any books you'd want to recommend to listeners? I, <laughs> the last two books I read were both by uh, Emily Henry, the, the people you meet on vacation. I'm talking to her next. Oh, are you really? Yeah, uh, for um, book lovers. Well, tell her she's fantastic, and oh, I, so I just absolutely—I mean, just—I'm saying something that um, that has been said a million times, but it's so true. Her her dialogue, her interaction between characters is just brilliant, and it's hilarious, and you laugh out loud, and it's just—it hooks you, it grabs you, it takes you for. A wonderful journey. Um, my wife and I uh, went on vacation. We drove to the coast um, from Montana to Oregon, and we listened to the people you meet on vacation on the drive out, and then on the drive back, we listened to Book Lovers, which was equally wonderful. Um, oh, that's yeah. so fun. 
Yeah. I haven't listened to the audio for any of her books. I should um I should reread with an audio version. I bet that would be really fun. Oh, it's it's a a great narrator, does the voices incredibly well. And she's just a dazzling writer. And so if anyone out there is listening, yeah, pick up her books. They're they're fantastic. And they will I'm sure they will be turned into films or you know, um streaming shows and um rightfully so. It's just great stuff. Oh yeah, they're such a treat. Well, um, I would love to hear. Do you are you able to share anything about um, what you might be working on next, or even like anything you're researching? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I just wrapped up an interview at the University of Virginia with a, a man named Jim Tucker. He's a doctor of um, pediatric psychiatry neurobehavioral science and he's the the head of uh uva's department of perceptual studies which is basically a, a bunch of uh scientific faculty members within their their medical school that study anomalous behavior um i'm i'm dancing around just saying that they're they're all parapsychologists and so they study some really interesting things like um reincarnation and children who have memories of past lives um a whole bunch of you know near-death experiences and the <laughs> as i as i wrote the the many daughters of afang moi it was such a complicated book it's six time periods six point of view characters all this research and as I was writing it, I kept telling myself, like, if I survive this, my next book is going to be one point of view, one time period. <laughs> it's going to be really simple. It's going to be contemporary. And I set out to do that. And I just can't. I, I stumble <laughs> in so many research rabbit holes that I can't stop myself from going down. And, and one of them was um, uh, children with memories of, you know, children with memories that they shouldn't have. Um and was totally fascinated by that. And um, Jim Tucker was incredibly generous with his time. Um, I was so grateful to be able to not just spend time with, uh, with, with him and ask him all my crazy questions, but to spend, you know, hours in their, their paranormal library, which has every, <laughs> it's, I, it felt like I was in Dr. Strange's library. I mean, there's just books going back to the early 1800s that deal with psychic phenomenon. And, um, that is very cool. Yeah, every everything that uh, would, you know, give you chicken skin, um, every book, every subject is researched there on display. And um, so that's, I, I'm not going to say exactly what the new book is about, but if you like this new book that's historical and speculative, I'm going there again so we'll, we'll see how it turns oh, out i will look forward to reading that anything that sort of springs from that research sounds really interesting to me well jamie thank you so much for coming on i loved getting to um, hear more about the book and your process and i hope that readers go pick up the many daughters of afang moi from their local bookstore or um, go borrow a copy from their library and just best of luck with your book tour um, and uh, your next project. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And tell Emily I'm a total fanboy. <laughs> I definitely will. 
For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, a Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all of the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports A Bookish Home and independent bookstores, so it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash a bookish home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.